in my heart for today. Um, so you'll see that later. But just to, um, yeah, just to say I love being here when I do come because it is such a family atmosphere. And so I love the Musenberg congregation. And um, I, we, yeah, we're just going to be speaking about family today and just God's design for family. And one thing that just struck me a few weeks ago is just the responsibility of being an adult. We're mostly adults in the room here. And just that it's not just actually about kids and your family, but just that God entrusts so much to us. He, for so many, you're in the workplace and just keeping businesses going and being a pivotal part of a team. We keep the economy going. We speak out. We vote. Um, God calls us to look after the needs of animals, to speak out when we see injustice, to care for community, and then to go home. And if you're married, to look after your spouse, to love them, um, to nurture them. If you're not still just, you know, to make your bed and run a household. And I still found it, you know, I was single for many years um, while I was working. And so there were also, there were pressures, there's community, there's actually things that God can use in your singleness. And so he still puts big demands on you and, 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 and not in a bad way because his burdens aren't heavy, but they're privileges. Um, and then also, and then you step into parenting and then it's also another mind-blowing responsibility. And I kind of felt the weight of it. And just God reminded me how important it is for us to stay close to him, to have our strength from him. He empowers us for the job that he gives us. And that is a beautiful, it's a wonderful stage of life. It's a stage that we should enjoy and not resist. We shouldn't find these things burdensome, but we should see them as privileges entrusted to us. And God has given us the keys that we need. He's given us the tools we need um, to do all this. And so we're going to be speaking from Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 4, which is a scripture that many of you will know. Um, if, you've, if you've been a Christian a long time, if you've grown up in a Christian household, because it speaks about children and parents and then fathers and children. Now, the one thing I want to say before I start is that I need to put two disclaimers in. The first is that I'm still asking stupid questions about parenting. Our youngest son is, well, uh, sorry, our oldest son, our oldest and youngest currently, is um, 19 months old. So I'm still learning the basics because I was never a baby person. And so I'm not going to be speaking to you about parenting tips and hacks and things I've learned. I don't have that much wisdom to offer. I'm still learning a lot and realizing how clueless I actually am. Um, but one thing that for me is a passion, and it's been a passion for many, many years, is championing the cause of godly Christian parents and looking at what God's word says and actually getting the church to partner with parents. So I've had many exciting conversations. I've had many challenging conversations. I've had many people grow my thoughts about what God is saying. But we're going to be looking at God's outline for family and God's guidelines, not my own. I don't have that much wisdom. You'll probably still see me making many mistakes, or you might bump into me at the shops while um, Alexander's throwing himself on the floor having a tantrum, which hasn't happened yet, but could. And so that is a reality. So I don't just know, I don't claim to be an expert in, in those sort of things. The other thing is also to realize that for many of you, you're not actually in this life stage. Maybe you deeply desire to, but you're not. Maybe you passed it. Um, but you know what? God has given us community. And these are principles that, um, you know, for many years in my life, I wasn't a parent, but I still championed. And that's the beauty of community is we can be a blessing to one another. Two of my closest friends aren't moms, and I actually speak to them about mothering a lot. I love their objectivity. I love the fact that they are always spurring me on in godliness that they actually don't just tell me what I want to hear sometimes. And so I actually really respect and honor 
of their advice when they give me advice. So don't feel that you are less than if you are offering advice to people who are not in the same stage of life as you because we're offering God's truth, not our own. And sometimes that's actually a better place to come from. And sometimes you can be more strength. But then the same thing is that if you hear me say things today that maybe you're just not there, maybe you're a single mom and we're going to be speaking about fathers, there are many people in this community that can help you to process it and say, how does it look in my family? The leadership team, there's a lot of wisdom here and a lot of love where people can help you. So this isn't meant to push buttons or cause pain, but we are looking at some exciting scriptures. And just as a community, we are a family. We're a family of love. We're a family spurring each other on in good works. So we just need to trust God in the season. And I was thinking about parenting and just how I'm feeling at the moment, like the story of Goldilocks and the three bears. Do you remember Goldilocks? And she goes into the house and she tries everything and something like the bed's too hard and then the one's too soft and then she gets to the one that's just right. And a lot of parenting's like that. What am I doing? And so I'm like, I start out and I'm too strict. Then I swing the other way and I'm too lenient. And then you kind of get to that point of going, oh, I'm just right. And then the next curveball comes. And so it's kind of figuring out all these things of what is God's, what is just right? What is kind of that, that place that we should be kind of parking um, in terms of raising kids? And the thing that we need to trust is that everything that God says is just right. It's that perfect bed that we can go to straight away and camp in, knowing that his ways are perfect. So in everything that God says, no matter what stage of life you are in, He's got something, his rules, his words, his commands, his laws, his encouragements are just right for us. And we need to trust him in that. It reminds me of Psalm 19, and I put this in late. So if I can just have Psalm 19 on the screen, I'm actually going to have to read it off from here. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple. I'm feeling pretty simple um, in these things. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. And I just love that. For the whole series, I think that's such a beautiful verse and just such a challenging one. Just reminding us of God's pure goodness and his intention of giving us his word. Um, so, but I'm just going to start by reading from Ephesians 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up. Otherwise, um, Tom's going to put it on the screen. It's Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the law. So if you look there, there's two groups of people that are kind of being instructed. It's firstly children towards their parents, an instruction to children on how to treat and react to their parents, how to obey them. And then it's fathers to children. So I'm not sure why mothers aren't singled out. My theory is they do everything right. And so <laughs> they don't need to be told anything. But that's probably not true. It's just, it's just Paul is instructing into two significant dynamics. And 
Um, if you have ever heard these verses before, if your parents ever quoted them when you were growing up, I don't know about you, but my parents, I heard them say, you know, children, obey your parents. Did you ever hear that? Did anyone grow up hearing that and that command? And then I would sometimes throw back at my father, like, don't exasperate me. And that was, uh, it's been, it's, been, it's worked both ways for and against me. Um, but when, when preparing, and when preparing the two statements that actually stood out to me was the, in the Lord... And of the Lord. And I think those are actually the two most important statements in the verse. Because you see, if you follow rules without a foundation, it's pretty useless. You're actually just being compliant. Um, if you've done ethics or morality at varsity and you've just learned it, it's hard to appeal if there's no common basis. So you actually have to get to what do we have in common. And so it's the same at home is that you can say, children, obey your parents. But if there's nothing you can call to, um, you can only use that so long of just obey me, listen to me. And the question will come up, well, why should I? Um, but if you're a Christian, there's a bigger reason. If you know and love God, it's because you want to be in the Lord. And you want to lead your child to the point where they can agree with you and you both have that common purpose of wanting to do it because you want to do it for the Lord. And many parents make obedience the goal of parenting, of good parenting. And so they'll read this verse and they'll say, yeah, my child needs to obey. Or sometimes even non-Christians actually even believe it. They say, like, if my child is compliant, it means I've got a good kid. But that actually isn't the way we should parent in God's kingdom because God works from the inside out and not from the outside in. The outside in can make you look good for a while but it doesn't, make, it doesn't do the trick long-term. It sorts out things immediately. And sometimes that is, there, there are many times, especially when kids are small, where you need to, you know, the, the, the kind of micro-obedience, you know, take your hand off the flame, <laughs> don't touch the kettle, don't do this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this big-picture obedience. Um, you know, we, your kids will only kind of, if you're doing it from the outside, they're only going to obey for so long if it's written on their heart, it's coming from the inside out. And I kind of thought about it as army, like army training. If you know or have been in the army or know anyone in the army, there's an importance to listen and obey instructions. There's an importance to follow things because you're going to war and you have to obey. But I don't know if you've met any soldiers whose lives are in shambles. I have. And I actually went to a wedding two years ago. And this guy, I mean, there were some really funny stories. He was in Afghanistan. He was part of some, I don't, I don't know, so I can't even actually make it up. But he was part of some elite group that was going from the UK and was fighting in Afghanistan. So he was in some hectic situations where they had to be the best of the best. Um, but I know the person that married him, and I was at their wedding. And stories had come out before the wedding of, you know, should we actually get married? This man's life was in absolute shambles. And so much so that on his wedding day, he'd smoked weed before the wedding. And he was, we didn't know, he was usually quite shy and didn't realize why he was being so funny and outgoing. But he was even making a joke of their wedding day. And I just saw something so sad. A man who was disciplined, a man who was in this elite and the best of the best, who could follow externals, but his internal life was in shambles. And it just showed me that it needs to come from the inside out and not from the outside in when it comes to parenting. If you think about in the Bible, who were the ones who focused on the outside and looking good, it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And those were the ones that Jesus pointed out. And actually, he just showed a different way of doing it. He showed relationship coming from the inside and manifesting out. And so that's the way that I want to encourage you to, uh, to parent. 
And so if if obedience isn't the goal of parenting, because Paul's giving instructions here, he's not saying it is the goal, then what is? And I want to look at almost two sides of parenting and two scriptures that are quite significant for me. And the first doesn't actually directly address parents, but I think it's very relevant. It's Matthew 26, 24 to 26. And it almost for me speaks of what parenting shouldn't be. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And I don't know about you, and if you've just seen the way... um, just in the southern suburbs especially, I've seen it, of just this pressure that there's on to provide certain things for kids. And it's not just, I'm not even talking about just the wealthy. I've interacted with a lot of people that don't have a lot, whose kids are putting pressure on them to buy certain clothes, sports gear, things to make them look a certain way. Um, I had a lady who was working cleaning our house, and her son had her convinced that he was going to be a soccer star, and she was spending so much money on shoes for him, and boots, and these sort of things, and it turned out when I met me, actually really wasn't great, and she was putting her life, like all her savings, um, into this boy that actually wasn't even, he had convinced her that this is what he needed for success, and then I've seen it with just how so many parents, um, just the goal is for their kids to have this comfortable, wonderful life, and just to provide, 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 and they're kind of running around trying to do this for their kids and make their kids well-balanced, so, you know, it's the expectation now is that kids will do something like will excel academically, that they'll have a sport and a culture and extra things that they're doing along the way. And what I have seen, and I have seen this since I've been at the church, I have been at the church many years, but since working with the kids, I've seen a change in that I have never met so many kids on um, anti-anxiety meds, kids suffering from depression, things and, and, and competition and actually just a horrible spirit among so many kids. And I've asked myself with that, is this actually enhancing and highlighting the best in children? Is it actually showing their best side? Is it showing off? Is it letting kids be kids? Or are we putting this whole pressure on? What good is it if your child gets all of this and forfeits their soul, loses himself along the way? And the question is, have you consulted God about what he wants for your child and what his design is for them? God has never said about wealth being a thing that will make us happy and an easy life will build character. And there's no one size fits all when it comes to parenting. And sometimes we've bought into that because we're allowing the media, we're allowing this group think in, in our southern suburb society where these people who aren't actually even Christians are determining what the norm is and what we should be striving for. And it's not even done in God. And as Christians, we're panicking about and thinking, am I doing this for my kids? Am I providing enough? Am I, you know, and, and, and that's not what God has even created them to be. He's got such a unique and special design for your child that cannot be compared to any of the junk that the world is actually wanting to offer your child. And so we need to, we need to actually step back from what community is saying, what pressure and society is saying, what the media is saying our children need to be happy. And we need to be asking God, who designed your child in your womb, oh, he had a plan, he knows exactly, and he's got such a better, superior design for kids. So the question is, what good is it if you get 10 out of 10 by the world's standards, 
yet you forfeit your child's spiritual input, their spiritual life, where they never have the time to process what it means to be a Christian, to be in love with God, to be captivated by him. And so that's just, it's also quite liberating because once you go, I'm actually parenting to honor God and not the world, you actually can kind of look at it and stand from the outside and say, I'm not going to buy into that and just fight against it. So what does our, what should our goal be? What should it be looking like? And our scriptures from, the next one's from Deuteronomy 6. And I love this one. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So just going, God is God. He's Lord of all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So that's a command. You should be loving God completely. With everything that you have, you should be loving God. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write about them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And you see this, this picture of let God invade your family home. Let God invade your life. Let God invade everything about you. Let God permeate every fiber of your being so that you actually live it. And you just think about families that have passion. I think like, you know, in, in, in also when I'm driving around, you see a lot of sporty families and you'll see families cycling together and you just see how that passion is caught. And, or, you know, families running and exercising, being outdoors or, you know, families that love to eat out together. And these things, all of a sudden, these kids have a very similar appreciation to their parents because that passion, that time and energy that's spent in serving that passion rubs off on kids and they just seem to catch it. So the same is that if I'm walking with God passionately, if I'm loving him completely, we are giving our kids the best chance that they have of responding to God. We still can't control them. We still can't force them to make a decision. There have been parents who have tried to follow this, and their kids have still made their own choice. And that the child will be accountable to God. You cannot control them. And it is something that causes parents heartbreak. But the reality is you're giving them the best chance of making that decision if you are the real deal. So I was just looking at what are some of the implications? What are some of the things that we can be challenged on for our own home when it comes to parenting? And I've just jotted down some on a list. Now, this isn't a to-do list. This is giving you a picture of culture. So it's not a write this all down and check it off because it would be so incredibly overwhelming. But in my experience, just what I've seen and what we encourage families to do at home, because I still believe parents are the number one influence when it comes to raising godly kids and passing faith down. These are some of the things Things that can be in your home. Firstly, that your faith needs to be genuine and passionate, and I think that came through in the verse. Um, if you are married, your conduct must be loving. Um, it must be loving, model, and, and also model God's love. And what I was thinking here is even just if you're divorced, if your spouse isn't there, you can still show God's love. And I, I was actually chatting to someone on the weekend who for me has been such an example of this where she could have done the, the opposite, but she was still actually, she modeled godliness to a divorced spouse. Uh, to a divorced spouse. And so it's not just even for for marriage. Um, your child needs to feel loved and secure because when they do, they're in a better space to actually understand God's love. Um, love generously with time, commitment, security, and discipline. Your child needs to observe your godly habits and conduct to see that you're the real deal. 
Spending time in God's word needs to be our priority. They need to learn God's word and know it. Pray, teach, and tell them what it means to be saved. Kids need to have a right understanding of what it actually means to come to God. Have a worship culture in your home, teaching kids how to praise, to sing, to worship, to express their love for God. Teach standards for right living. Teach apologies and forgiveness. Have intentional conversations. Have significant traditions. Make, make um, just things, even like Sunday, something that is significant in your family home. Integrate faith into all areas of life. One of the best ways to connect with kids is taking them outdoors and just being in awe of God's creation and, and just connecting with them that way. Then take them for a walk and speak about it. Integrate it. Make it fun and think outside the box. Just start fun family traditions when it comes to family quiet times. I remember at one stage my dad kind of enforced these on us and it was just terrible. My sister was in the terrible teens and she would kind of throw tantrums being dragged to family devotions. It was a negative thing. Think about how you can make it a time of fun and celebration as you go gather around with God's word. Um, if your child makes a decision to follow Christ, write it down and remember it. Remember, kids don't remember everything about their childhood. And so they need to be reminded. They need to be told. So make it significant. So many of the kids in our church have made commitments. And then as teenagers, I'll say, well, when was it? And they can't really tell me. And it's not that it's that important. I mean, the important thing is that you found in God and that you're growing. But it still is important to know, well, this is a day of celebration. This is the day you made that choice. So there's a mark in the sand. Um, salvation is an ongoing process, so don't stop at praying. Don't just tick the box once your kid has said, I want to follow God, and then that's it. And all of a sudden you think you've done your job as a parent. It doesn't stop there. Um, observe where they are developmentally and approach them at that point of need. I think so often we keep our kids in, in the very simple faith mode when, when all of a sudden we see, and we're very intentional about it at church, our grade sixes and sevens are starting to grapple with their faith and ask questions, but in reality, they're actually just very naive and can't actually understand the answers of, with a lot of them, or they're just being indifferent. But we don't say, you know, just listen, you know, we're going to tell you another Bible story. We actually are teaching them to learn and grapple, and we're giving them some simple tools, because in the next stage of life in high school, all of a sudden, they're starting to question whether what they believe is real. And then all of a sudden, they're also adding emotions. So they'll go to summer camp, and all of a sudden, they'll be worshiping God and crying. And they think that that's their first real experience of God. And they haven't understood that actually their hormones are just everywhere. And all of a sudden, God's engaging them in their heart. But isn't it special how God engages teenagers with their heart? Because all of a sudden, they're hormonal, and they're actually needing to trust God with their emotions, with their life, with everything. But you see, God works so beautifully at every developmental stage and you as a parent need to be aware and capture what you're doing. I was chatting to a mom last year and she just said oh, she'd taken the week just to ask God what he was doing in her kids' lives. And I loved that because it's not the same. God's not doing the same as you with you as he was last year. Why should it be the same where you're just opening up a quick Bible story and reading it to your kids and not engaging on spiritual matters? This is probably one of the most exciting things about parenting if you really wrap your mind around it. Um, and then be strongly committed to and partnered with the church. Christian community has a very important role to play. And I think that the church and family is just a powerful partnership. So be faithful to church. Um, and then 
form your child's identity around God's design, not the world's design. So speak God's truth into your child. See what God has put in. They have the same Holy Spirit, so God has given them gifts. Look at what God has put in your child and call that out. And then teach your child to be in the world, but not of the world. So those are just some ideas. The Bible's full of ideas because everything that God says to believers, he's saying to your child, and that is what you're training them in. And when, you, when your child then makes that decision to follow God and step into relationship, then all of a sudden this verse that we're dealing with applies, and you can appeal to that. And that is parenting from the inside out and not from the outside in. So the verse says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And what does obedience look like in that context? You know what? The Ten Commandments, um, we've divided them into the first six having to do with our relationship with, um, sorry, the first four directed towards God and the last six we are towards man. But uh, the way the Jewish um, community divides it is the first five, which covers children obeying parents, actually is our duty towards God. And I like that, that it's not, you're not obeying parents because it's your duty towards your parents. First and foremost, it's a duty towards God. And that is actually a very beautiful thing. And so if you want your child, you can then appeal to them and say, you know what, we both want to honor God and put him first in our lives. And so we both obey his commands. And now God has told you that you need to obey me. And so that is the order that it happens in. And all of a sudden, it actually changes things. And who is the best example of obedience? And what can we expect? Perfect obedience. That is what Jesus actually says. But don't, don't write me off just yet. Um, but Jesus did model perfect obedience to the Father because even down to not wanting, saying, you know, if possible, take this cup away from me on the cross, but not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus, just to even death on the cross, modeled perfect obedience so that is our goal. That is who we look to. We look to Jesus as a perfect example. But can we expect our kids to always be perfect? Well, the question is, are you always perfect? Are you obeying God 100%? And I think we can all answer that in our heads, and the answer is probably no. Um, and so I think it's, it's natural to understand obedience. But the thing is, obedience isn't an event. It's, just not a, it's not just a once-off thing. It's actually a process and a journey that we are on, becoming more like God and obeying his words. And so when disobedience happens, there's a chance to change that, restore, and for it to become obedience. I love how Jesus, after Peter denies him three times and, and essentially just disobeys, he is no longer faithful to God. He, he does things his own way, and Jesus reinstates him and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? You know, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And he, they make their relationship right, and he restores him. And for me, that is a beautiful journey of obedience, that it's a process. As I align my behavior to God's, and all of a sudden, I'm walking on this road with him. And so, as I said, there will be micro-obedience, those little times where you have to straight away call for immediate obedience. But the, the big thing that you're training your child in is a journey of obedience. And there's so many beautiful things that come out of obedience. Obedience, well, and, well even out of disobedience. 
Um, it's a chance to show your child unconditional love. It's a chance to show God's unconditional love. It's a chance to show forgiveness. It's a sh- chance to throw, show restoration. It's a chance to show kids a different way. Um, I'm always big on this, is don't just give people the thing of you mustn't do this, but give them a different thing. And Jesus showed, always said that. He would give people like, go and sin no more. Go and do this. And he would give people other suggest- suggestions. Don't do this. Rather do this. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so there's all these things of don't do this, but rather encourage you to do this. And that is what you can give kids to do. You know, your child is, has a problem telling lies all the time. Then teach them about the truth and encourage them to walk in the truth. Don't just tell them not to because then you're not putting anything in their heart that is of God's word. And so there's so many beautiful things that come out, can come out of disobedience, and that is also liberating as a parent because you, then you don't need to fear your child. There might be public embarrassment. You might feel a little bit exposed if it's something that's done in public. You might, it might trigger things in you if you're tired or feeling angry yourself. But, but big picture, we can still celebrate the process of obedience even when your child disobeys because they're on a journey with God and God is taking them somewhere beautiful. And so God's got it. You're not walking alone when it comes to disciplining your child and talking to them about obedience. And God is with you. He's there. The Holy Spirit empowers you. And can you see how that just seems so right? It's so liberating for parents to know that Heavenly Father who calls obedience out is there helping you. And then the last little bit we're looking at is fathers. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I was questioning and trying to find some good answers as to why fathers are just addressed in the Scripture. And I, I, there are no really great reasons. There was nothing that was particularly happening at that time um, why fathers were singled out. But I actually like the fact that this verse does elevate fathers. It shows the importance of fathers. It shows that fathers can, and I think moms can do it too, if they can push certain buttons in kids. Um, but I just went, well, what can we take home from that? As, as, what can we challenge fathers to do? And, and the one thing that straight away came into my mind is that so many, and I do my fair share of counseling at the church, so many of the issues that are coming out, it's uh, probably I'd say 75% has something to do with the person's father. And that's men and women. It's, it's sometimes the spiritual issues they're facing or the emotional issues. And that doesn't mean that every dad's doing a bad job. What it shows me is that there's something spiritually significant that hits the soul of a child when their father is dealing with them. And there's something significant about a father. God has put fathers in place to, to minister something spiritually to their kids too, not just to be a role in the home. And that for me is actually really beautiful. But I look at where we need to be careful, and, and I was just chatting to a few people and asking them how they thought in older, like older parents and what their opinion was on it. And the one thing that came out, and just the challenge, was they were saying, you know, especially dads in South Africa and men in South Africa, it's that whole, like, be brave, be strong, you know, don't, you know, don't be a softy, don't do this. That's not God's heart. That's a South African stereotype where men are told to be something that God isn't. And so, so many kids have actually been damaged by that very thing of, having a harsh father, an uncaring father, a non-present father, a father who hasn't been what God has called them to be. 
And so sometimes as dads, there needs to be this, this encouragement for dads to model Christ's love, for them to be okay. It's okay to see a father cry. It's okay for a father just to love and cuddle his kids and just be so physically in love with them. It's okay for a father to gush over his kids because you are also just portraying God's love. And I was thinking about it. It's, it's not even just because the Bible does sometimes refer to God in the mail and it does, you know, your heavenly father and we speak about it, I think there's something far more significant to fatherhood in the spiritual realm than just some, some of those kind of analogies. Because I just go, why can't these people get over it? Why can't they? For many of them, they've had bad mothers too. But there's something about the father that sometimes can just grip and just have a hold on people. And so dads, that also shows though that you have a very powerful relationship and you have something very powerful to offer your child. And that is exciting. But then the focus is also on training up. Bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. And that takes time. It's not to be outsourced. I've never, as a children's pastor, said that the church actually replaces what families should be doing at home. We can't trump that relationship. It's not a more special one. It supports it kind of helps your kids, it helps them to see our Christian communities there, we reinforce what parents are teaching, but we've never ever, our heart has never been to replace what's happening. Also, it's not just a mother's job, it's both parents can bring something very special, and we haven't even touched on mothers, there is something, don't feel insignificant, I'm sure God will tell you in the week of your significance, but we're just not addressing it today, um, but, but I think both fathers and mothers bring something so special, and different aspects of God, but when one parent, it's like a seesaw that's imbalance, if one parent's bringing it and the other's not, then it just kind of can bring an imbalance. And so I think it's just important to, if you are a father and you, you yeah, if you're in a family where there is a father, it's just to encourage um, a father just to be a father and to be a father to kids. And just, yeah, I think also that, that fathers can often get a bad rap and are always told what they do wrong, um, but we need to be encouraging them to minister to their kids. And then also when it comes to fathering and even mothering, um, often the way and how you're reacting to your kids is saying more about where you're at with God um, in your reactions and your responses than actually about your child. So people say, oh, my kid's so naughty. They're so badly disciplined. Like maybe you actually need to start with yourself and check yourself because it's going fathers do not exasperate. That's like anger. Like fathers don't push your kids' buttons. Don't anger them. Rather train them in the instruction of the Lord. So the first thing is to actually check a father's heart and a mother's heart to see where you're at. And then take time to be intentional. That's also what the verse says. There's training and instruction isn't just a five-minute devotion at night, and it's something that you need to be intentional about. You didn't just go to varsity if you went to varsity for a few years, and your lecturers didn't just come and wing it and just kind of tell you a few random things. They actually trained you in your profession. They taught you. They took time. They were careful. They were intentional in what they did. And I was just thinking about the influence of fathers and just how things have become more, more challenging. If you think about it, pre-industrial revolution, what did parenting look like? It was often subsistence farming. Kids were in the field. Boys were often in the field with their dads, working the land or doing a craft. Moms were 
at home with the kids, with the daughters. And so there was a lot happening with the same gender parent. And then all of a sudden, industrial revolution comes and takes the father out. He must go and work in a factory. He works 14 to 16 hour days. And all of a sudden, this term breadwinner is brought in. And it's almost quite a toxic name. Because what are dads? Breadwinners. What are moms? Homemakers. Now, this has got nothing to do with gender stereotype. This has got to do with the fact that fathers, I think, got a terrible downgrade in the deal. And I feel like, you know, and, and I even experienced it when we were having our first child, is that people started asking me how I was going to free up my time to spend more time with Alexander. And that was a cry of my heart so that I could actually just be very hands-on because I wanted to be a hands-on person. Not one person asked that about Jono. No one said, how is Jono going to free up more of his time to be a father? And he has done that, and he's been very intentional. I've been blessed with someone who's actually loved fathering. But no one asks that of the dads because it's expected. There's so much pressure for dads to actually provide over and above what families need, over and above what is actually required of them. So men are defined by work and what they do and the workplace. They are not defined by fatherhood. And then the world is saying there's problems with fathers. They're non-present. They're this. The kids are manifesting like this. And so dads are getting a bad rap, but no one's actually going, how can we encourage you because you are that significant? And I just want you to watch this little clip as we end um, that just I actually just saw it on Facebook this week and thought it was a good a good well a good challenge the biggest single problem that creates school shootings is fatherlessness either minimal involvement with dads or no involvement with dads that comes usually after divorce and it also comes from the 51% of women under 30 who are raising children without father involvement Sometimes father involvement is starts, but then it, after two years of not being married, 40% of fathers drop out completely. And so that combination accounts for all of your school shooters. Um, Adam Lanza, Stephen Paddock, um, the Nicholas Cruz, um, uh, Rogers, Roof, um, they're all dad-deprived boys. Now, we don't see this among girls. We don't see this among dad-involved boys. The solution is father involvement. Where you can, um, and getting father involvement starts with, we can start that in school. We can start that with getting fathers involved in PTAs, letting the, uh, changing the culture of letting men know that the most important single thing they can do in their life is not to be a warrior outside in the killing fields, but to be a father warrior. Uh, to be involved in not just the PTAs, but in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, um, in coaching in, um, and giving up high paying jobs to have more time with your children. I thought that was so challenging. I mean, it's, it's a kind of a current American issue, um, but a big social issue that they're dealing with and how he kind of in his research has just seen a thread in common. I'm sure there are many others, but just showing again the importance of fathers. And sometimes it will take a very hard choice. And I just want to end with this, is that that whole thing of what good is it if your child gains the whole world it forfeits their soul. What good is it if you provide every little gadget for your child, every opportunity, yet they forfeit their soul? And I was so challenged this, um, a few weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago in our church, um, a significant member, Vernon Wood, passed away. 
And uh, last Friday was his funeral. And just how there probably were about 800 people in the church. Um, it was more packed out. I think Bruce, Bruce had uh, identified that Vernon drew more people than Christmas did. Um, <laughs> and Belinda was just so blown away in that. But her father um, was a godly man. He was a principal. He was in education, um, which isn't a glamorous job. And it's not a high-paying job. All his kids went through university education. They've had brilliant lives. They are well-rounded kids. They love God. Um, They are just stunning. Two of them are still in our church community and are stunning members of our church. And I just saw how just even a life that where he didn't strive for fame, he didn't strive to, you know, leave his profession um, when many men actually are pushed out of it. He actually was faithful and God was so faithful with him and his family. And it was such a testimony to that of just a packed out church of people paying tribute to a man of integrity and at the end of the day isn't that what counts isn't that what is the most important thing and and this is the only thing and I was quite important in the whole thing of not actually giving people a bad rap but sometimes we do need to ask very hard questions and I've even been doing that to myself I um uh, yeah I just in in terms of like I was battling just with tiredness and especially in the first trimester of pregnancy and when John would come home I would actually be quite grumpy I wasn't angry, I didn't scream and shout and that sort of thing. Um, But Jonna actually commented it wasn't as nice coming home as it used to be because I felt the need to let him know um, that I wasn't happy. And what I'm I'm essentially saying there is it's more important for me to rant and let you know how tired I am than it is to make home a positive place. And, and, And it was a hard question of going, I'm actually placing my need to do that above Jonah and Alexander's, is that what God has called me to do? And, and you maybe need to ask some hard questions about your life. You know, if I'm saying that I'm choosing to do this, I'm choosing to, when I come home, you know, get on my bike and go cycling for three hours instead of spending time with my kids because I think I can still be a very good mountain biker or whatever. Um, just an example. You, be honest with yourself. You are then making that choice over inputting into your life, your child's life, because as we've seen from the scriptures, from common sense tells you, these things take time, intentionality, time before God. It takes you actually looking after your own soul and making sure before God that you are actually doing well. And those are the most important things. So don't be afraid to ask tough questions because that's often when big changes happen too. Um, but I'm just going to pray. There's so many other things I could say. Um, I'm sure you know it's a passion of mine, so I could speak for ages, but I'm going to stop there. And I'm just going to pray for us and just for our community. And thank you for listening if you aren't a parent and you're not there. Um, and thank you for your sensitivity to, to just a need. And hopefully, yeah, it's something that you can just spur other families on, even if you're not there, um, and just encourage them. So, Lord... We thank you for this community. We just know that there's so many needs, but at the end of the day, we see the value and the importance of training kids um, from the inside out, of them coming to know you. And Lord, we just see how the fruit of it is just, it just manifests in the household and manifests in community of kids just who know and love you and grow up with you, Lord. We want to reach kids before they need to be rescued. We want to reach them um, for you, Lord. We just celebrate even Gertrude's testimony of just girls who, who came to know you and straight away you called them to obedience. And Lord, we just pray that kids will grow up with such a keen awareness and such a keen sense of who you are, Lord. May they continue to grow in you. Lord, we 
pray for the kids that are represented in the homes that are here. Lord, we just pray for each one of them. Will they come to know you, Lord? Will they come to have a significant relationship with you? May it define their life. And Lord, for those of us who may need to make maybe big adjustments, and, and just to, to free up time to be more intentional in training kids in your way. Lord, I pray that we'll be bold enough to do this, that we won't look at the end of our lives and regret the decisions that we've made because we lost our kids along the way. So, Lord, just be gentle with us, be kind with us, convict us. Don't condemn us, Lord. We, we, we know that you don't condemn, that you convict and you show us away. So we pray that you'll do this and help us to make sense of where you're leading our family. Thank you that you've put something so beautiful and unique in kids, Lord. And, and all of us in this room, we're kids ourselves and, and have just experienced your kindness and the work of, in our li- of, the, of your Holy Spirit in our lives along the way. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that you haven't stopped working with us and you're still doing a new thing. And we pray that you will continue to do a new thing in this community. Amen. Joe. Joe. Thank you so much for sharing with us. It's been a real blessing to, to hear from you in the many years that you've walked as a minister to children and parents. And I hope that was a blessing for you. I hope you also have a lovely rest of your Sunday and a fantastic week and that you go and be the church as a uh, member of a family for the rest of this week because it's not about what we do here. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. Good job, you're all listening. Hey, we'll see you guys in two weeks' time. Fantastic.